We are starting a series this morning uh, on worship. And as that, I think, video said, what is worship? It's the act of ascribing ultimate value to God and engaging that God with all of our being, with our heads, yes, it's an intellectual thing, with our hearts, with our wills, how we choose to live our lives, and even with our bodies. So why talk about worship? Why take a month and talk about worship? What does the Bible say about it? And the reason is this. I, I would say this is my premise for this uh, series of messages, that the problems that I have, the challenges that I have that you have in living out my faith, right? I have them every day, right? Small and medium. What does it mean for me to live out my faith, to be a Christ follower, you know, in, in, in my uh, relationships? What does it mean to be a father, to be a husband, to, to be someone that's in the community, to, you know, to try to live out my faith with integrity? What does it mean? What are the challenges? How do I and you respond to the challenges which are manifold every single day to live out my faith as a follower of Jesus in this world, in my everyday life, I would say to you, most of these are connected to um, the quality of our worship relationship with God. My ability to live out my faith um, in, 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 an, in more successful ways, in a more um, meaningful way, in a, in a better way, in my everyday life has everything to do with the quality in the character of my worship relationship with God. That's what I want to talk about uh, these um, four weeks. As an opening really to this, uh, really this whole series, I want to pick a passage um, that is perhaps some would say the... Um, you know, the passage that many scholars or pastors would say um, is one of the primary central passages about worship in all of the Bible. It's the 95th Psalm. So please stand with me one more time. I know we stood a few minutes ago. And just listen, uh, pay attention to these words, our text for this morning, Psalm 95, verses 1 through 11, a call to worship. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. You may be seated. First thing I want to say about this passage is that worship begins with the Lord our God, okay? 
Worship begins with the Lord our God. He says this sort of statement, this declaration of verse 3. The Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods, whatever those gods might be, uh, you know, physical or, uh, you know, emotional or intellectual. The Lord is a great God. But it's interesting, the words that he uses, right? We, we think often about worship. We think even of, of singing and praising. Let, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and stolen with music and song and say, well, what is this? You know, what's he talking about here? But you have to keep in mind that the New or the Old Testament, particularly here in the book of Psalms, it's poetry, right? What you're getting here, let us sing to God, let us shout aloud. Does that mean we're supposed to shout in church? Well, maybe, I don't know. But what does it mean to extol him with music and song? It's poetry, right? What you have here in the Psalms is poetry. It is a call to worship, but it's not a style guide, right? We're not supposed to go back here and say, well, listen, we ought to shout a little bit and we ought to extol a little bit. And we're supposed to get our, how we uh, conduct music from how it's talked about, right? He's not a style guy. What he's talking about here, though, when he opens this call to worship, he's talking about, he's saying essentially this, a relationship with God needs to begin with our hearts, right? He's talking about passion. He's talking about engaging the emotions. Let us sing with joy. That's an emotion. Let us shout to God with the, the, the rock of our salvation. Let us come with thanksgiving. Let's do it with music. Let's do it with heart. Let's do it with enthusiasm. It begins with uh, our hearts. It, in, it means you ought to have a genuine passion for God. I hope if you're in this room today and you're married uh, that you, you would say, I genuinely love my, uh, uh, my wife. I genuinely love my husband. I genuinely love my kids, or I love my friends, or I love my dog, okay? I mean, I hope that you have a sense of passion and a sense of emotional uh, commitment to the people that most matter to you in your life. But I hope that you have that same kind of passion or that same kind of emotion in your relationship with God. That's what he's talking about. Do you, he's talking about a call for emotion. Our hearts need to be engaged in our relationship with God. Is your heart because those things that most matter to you, even the people that most matter to you, the job that most matters to you, the, 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 the dog that most matters to you, those things that excite you today, many of you know this, will bore you tomorrow, right? That's the nature of life. And those relationships that are most important to you today and are most important, they will not last forever, right? Nothing, no relationship lasts forever, right? You will all out, you know, some of us will outlive uh, the most important people in our lives. Ultimately, only God can satisfy the deepest needs of our hearts, right? That's what we're talking about. We are called in that great, they call it the great um, commandment, to love the Lord with all our strength in all our hearts, not for his sake, right, but for our sake. That's why we, now two reasons are given here, very quickly. You know, we are called to love the Lord. He's a great God. He's the king above all gods, right? 
In other words, for you and me, what does that mean? It means anything else that is the focus of your affections, right? It doesn't have to be a statue. It doesn't have to be some other kind of religious icon. But any other thing that captures your imagination, any other thing that captures your affection, he is a great God above all gods. And he gives two reasons very quickly. The call to worship. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. He's going to say the same thing in a different way. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. You go, what difference does that make? It's poetry. And what he's doing here is he's taking two sort of extremes. He's saying, listen, in, the, in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks, the very lowest thing that is available, the lowest place in a, in a physical sense, the depths of the sea and the mountain peaks and the sea is his and the dry land. All he's simply saying is this, the scope of his power is total, the reason we ought to worship God and give him the best of our hearts, the reason he's a God above all gods is his, the scope of his power is everything. Everything in the world, right, belongs to him. It is his dominion. And then you're supposed to make the application. He's just using the natural phenomenon as a poetic way to make a point. Everything is his dominion, not just the church service, but your home and your career and your marriage and your job and your thought life, right? Everything is his dominion. He is an almighty, all-powerful God. That's why we should worship. Now you may say, well, that's scary, uh, Rob. If God is the God, not just of the hour on Sunday, but on every hour of my life, if he is the sovereign of my home life, the sovereign of my career and my aspirations, the sovereign of my thought life, that's a scary proposition. And because that's a scary proposition, it's why many of us, certainly people, who are outside of a Christian faith, but many of us, we will scale down our God. We'll make him small enough to just be over the areas of our life that we're comfortable in giving to him. But those areas of our life that we are not comfortable in giving, God will not have access to them. And whether we ever talk about it in a concrete way, whether ever we get theological language to it, many of us have right-sized, downsized a God that we're comfortable with, Right? But a call to worship is to acknowledge that God is sovereign over everything. You say, well, how do you deal with it? Well, see, there's a second point, verse 7. Not only is the scope of his power over all things, right? He's powerful, but he's also loving, verse 7. For he is our God. Yes, he is the Lord, which the word L-O-R-D means sovereignty, means he, is, he has a rights over all of our lives and all of our mind and all of our hearts, but he is also the Lord our God, if you're a Christian here this morning. He loves you. He is our God. We are his people of his pasture, the flock under his care. What he's trying to say here is, yes, God has all authority in your life, but he has a personal love for you. He is your shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. It's okay. You can trust God with every area of your life. You can trust him with every corner of your life because he loves you, right? That's what this is about, right? Do you trust him? Do I trust him? Do you have the, you know, when I was reading this psalm many, many times just over the last few weeks, 
lyrics of a song came to mind that I did not know the song. I didn't, I didn't know the, 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 the writer of the song. I couldn't have told you. What, I never had the record of this song. But these lyrics came to me as I was reading this psalm, as I was thinking about my relationship with God. Almost the entire song came to mind. But I had to Google it to figure out who wrote the song. Just listen to these words of this song. Once I thought that love was meant for anyone else but me. Once I thought you'd never come my way. Now it only goes to show how wrong we all can be. For now I have to tell you every day. Your love is warmer than the warmest sunshine, softer than a sigh. Your love is deeper than the deepest ocean, wider than the sky. Your love is brighter than the brightest star that shines every night above. And there's nothing in this world that can ever change your love. Something happened to my heart the day I met you. Something that I never felt before. You are always on my mind no matter what I do. And every day it seems I want you more. Now what's amazing about this? This song, which I didn't know was written. If you're old enough, you may be smiling. This song was written when I was about three years old. And it was apparently a popular song on the radio. I'm sure my mother listened to the song. And somehow that song embedded itself in my memory, in my heart, um, for many, many years ago. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to sing this song in church. It's going to be like La La Land. What do you think? <laughs> I'm not going to sing this song. Okay. <laughs> But here's my, oh, thank you. You wouldn't say that if I sang the song. But here's my point, okay? Did this writer, you know, uh, uh, is, this, is this a song written about God or Jesus? I don't think so. I'm sure it's a romantic song, okay? I, I'm, I, I would assume that, uh, those of you who may know this song. But see, what it touched in me was something much deeper than romantic love, Right? And this is what worship is really all about. It's about grasping a truth. Yes, that God is powerful. And yes, he is sovereign over every area of my life, right? Not just the areas that I want to sort of him to be. He's over every area, including my thought life, including my home life. He's over every, but he loves me. He is my shepherd. We, I am the flock of his pasture. He loves me. And it's about grasping that truth and allowing it to strike itself at the center of my being because as it does that, he's the great God above all gods, it pulls my affections away from the other idols in my life, the other things that, that, that I consume my life, away from those things towards a God, the only God who can satisfy my deepest needs and enlarge my desires, right? Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Why? Why would you write a verse of scripture that doesn't even mention God's name and says, listen, if the mountains do it for you, if a song does it for you, if your wife does it for you, if your husband does it for you, anything that's beautiful, that's noble, that's right, think on these things. Why? Because they will lift your heart and they will lift your mind to something greater that we were all created to, 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 to experience, and that is God himself, right? That is God himself. 
Worship begins with the Lord our God. Is he your God? The Lord our God. Second, the heart of this message, worship is what we give to God, not what we get from God. So important. See, once we've experienced God, and it's a daily experience, opening your life to him, allowing him to enlarge your heart, to enlarge my heart. I was made, you were made for so much more than a, you know, than a, than a great car or a great relationship or a great job. You were made for so much more as God enlarges your heart, right? That's where worship begins. But ultimately, worship is about what we give to God, not what we get. It's about response, right? In fact, many people, maybe you've heard that if you've heard pastors talk about worship. It's about response. Look at verse Six, it's the transition verse in this passage. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Three verbs are used in that passage. Come, bow down, and kneel. And all of those verbs are about getting low, right? Because we find our place, we find our peace as we rightly acknowledge his The real experience of worship is not centered in what we get from God. It begins there. It's God himself. The real experience of worship is not centered in what we get out of church, right? Like it's a consumer, like I'm coming to a spiritual Wegmans. Feed me, right? The real experience of worship is not what we get from God, but what we give back to God, right? This is what Jesus meant in those very famous words. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, what do those words mean? Is is that a call to martyrdom? Is this that verse that's for, you know, the the 0.1% of people who end up dying for their faith and we read their biographies? no. It's not, a, it's not an invitation to martyrdom. That's not what he says. It's, a, it's, a, it's an invitation to finding the true meaning of life. He that finds his life. In other words, he who makes it his ambition, her ambition, to, to be the protagonist in their own life, to say my life is all about just meeting my needs and satisfying my desires, that's human nature. But if that's the purpose of your life, you will lose it. You will give yourself to smaller gods, to smaller ambitions, to things that will not satisfy you. Because everything in this life, even all these important, what excites you today will bore you tomorrow. What Jesus is saying is, he that wants to give up his small ambitions, his small uh, desires, his less than worthy of your heart, he that will say no to those small ambitions but will give his heart fully to me, this person will find the true meaning of life. That's what we're talking about here. Worship is not about what we give, what we get from God. It's what we give to God. All right. I was in, um, how does this happen in everyday life? How do we experience it? In, it's in small and medium ways every single day. I was in um, uh, Starbucks uh, a couple weeks ago. And, 
you know, uh, I was just in this kind of thinking through a lot of these things about worship. And, and, and like many of you, I'm trying to, 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 to use my time as best I can. And I, I had like a, I could tell there were several people waiting. And I said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read a, a, a passage of scripture. I'm going to read a, a, a chapter, just, you know, sitting there waiting. So I had my phone and it just happened to be where I was reading. And where I was reading was um, in the Gospels where it talks about the transfiguration, if you know that account. And I'm just reading the, tra- it just happened to be where I was and I was reading and, J- and Jesus said these words. Or, or maybe it's the writer of the Gospel and he says, you know, um, uh, 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 G- it was Jesus, he says, uh, you will not taste death, right, until you see the kingdom of God coming with power. You will not taste death, he says to his disciples, I think it's Peter's, James, and John, until you see the kingdom of God coming with power. They, wow, and then all of a sudden they go up to the mountain, and I'm reading this, and they see Jesus transfigured. They see he turns into this bright light, almost like white, and it says they fall down and they don't know what it's about, and I think this is what he's talking about. This is the kingdom of God. This is worship. They're seeing the transfigured Jesus, right? But then as I'm reading that, You will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. Then it says, they get down to the bottom of the mountain and Jesus says, listen, don't tell anybody what happened up there uh, until I rise from the dead. They don't know what that means. And then they come into this world of human misery and the disciples are arguing and it's about a guy who's brought his kid to the disciples. They couldn't heal him and he was was demon-possessed. And, and Jesus talks to the man and he heals the man and the disciples come to him and say, Lord, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do it? We tried when you were gone to exercise the demon, to bring the kingdom of God to, to bear, but we couldn't do it. And Jesus says, this can only happen with prayer, with a greater dependence on me. He calls them to worship and it hit me in a new way. It was almost like I was having an experience right there and start with that. This is what he's talking about. Yes, it's about seeing God. It's about having a vision of God. It is about, in a sense, worshiping the great God, the creator of all things and the God who loves me. I have my own experience kind of with the transfiguration. But ultimately, it's not about what God, it's about what God gives me. It's about giving back to God. And I thought, God's called me into the world to bring the kingdom of God to bear. And I just had this moment, literally. I was like, I almost wanted, I wasn't going to say I was going to cry, but it was just like this emotional moment. Now, that gets done. And this woman, she, she gives, gives me my drink. Now, I've been to this Starbucks a few hundred times. <laughs> I've been a lot. And I'll bet you this woman, I can see her face right now, has served me, no exaggeration, a hundred times the same but this is the very first time she gave it to me. She said, you know, I've never asked you your name. And she goes, what's your name? And it was so weird. It was like I was having a moment. And I said, <laughs> I said well, my name's Rob and her name was Karen. She said, oh, you know, it's nice to meet you. And I'm telling you, I just wanted to just say, I love you. Or, you know, or, <laughs> you know Jesus loves you, really, is what I wanted to say. But I mean, I was just having this moment. But... Uh, I mean, I felt like God was saying something to me, right? And I, I but I, I was, it, there was all these people and I just walked around the, the, um, the wall to the, to the, you know, where they have the um, sugar and all that. And I, I, I didn't, I don't put sugar in my coffee. But anyway, I just sat there and I just said a, a Nehemiah kind of prayer. And I just said, God, um, I don't know what Karen needs. I, have, I don't know this woman. I don't know what she needs. I don't know what's going on in her life. Um, But I just pray that you would meet that need. 
and if there's anything I can do. And then I just walked away. I'm sure the people around me thought, this guy's nuts, man. He didn't take anything, right? But this is what we're talking about. This is the meaning of life. It's not about what we get from God. It starts there. It's what we give back to. Let me show you one real quick example. A biblical, you know, giant for who lives out this principle. Acts chapter 20. It's the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 20. Someone who, who I don't know if anyone saved Jesus, sacrificed more of his life, gave more of himself, right? But had a kind of joy in doing it than the Apostle Paul. And he gives this great speech, Acts chapter 20. He's, he's, he's saying goodbye after spending, I think, a year and a half um, starting the church in Ephesus and he's traveling back. He knows he's headed to Jerusalem. He knows, in a sense, his life is, about, is, is, is nearing its end and he brings these leaders together and he pours out his heart and he says, some, he, he illustrates this principle very uh, powerfully, I think, in, in that it's not about what we get from God, it's what we give to him. Verse 32, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, to these leaders which build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. I haven't been in this for the money. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive, right? He says, listen, this is what it's all about. This is what worship is about. If you really want to find the meaning of your life, he that finds his life, he that lives for his own agenda, he that decides that, you know, I'm the protagonist of my own life, you're gonna end up unsatisfied. But he that loses his life for my sake, he that gives his life for the needs of others, he or she will find the true meaning of life because this is, how, he's, this is a design set. This is a design uh, verse. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If your heart is enlarged by your relationship with God, your inclination will be to pour it out. And I can tell you, as I sat there in that little Starbucks, my little 30-second moment, I had a greater sense of satisfaction, a greater sense of peace, a greater sense of joy in that little moment than I can any other thing I can think of in, in that week, okay? This is what it's all about. This is what worship does for us. Worship begins with the Lord our God. It's what we give to God, not what we get from God. And lastly, this is a whole sermon in itself, worship is a matter of the heart. The matter of the heart the, the, the ending of this psalm, it takes such a hard turn. Today, if you would only hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the Meribah and Massa, these, the, the, he, he frames the entire Exodus experience in these two very challenging times when the people of God would not trust the word of God, would not trust the voice of God, and they rebelled. When your ancestors tested me, and, and many people have read this psalm and go, wow, the, 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 talk about, you know, start, these two pieces belong together. The verses 7 through, uh, or excuse me, 8 through 11 actually belong with the rest of the psalm. But they do, they're a warning. 
And what they are a warning is, is a warning against the enemy of worship, which is a hard heart. Today, if you would hear his voice, right? Do not harden your hearts. Because the people in the Exodus experience, they hardened their hearts. And it doesn't say they died and went to hell. But this is what it says. They never entered the promise and they never entered rest. And when a 500 years later, David is using this experience, he says today, he's talking to the people in his day, people that live in the promised land, right? But even to those people, he said if you really want to enter into rest, you need to be aware of a hard heart because worship is a matter of the heart. Today, if you want to hear his voice, don't harden your heart. The writer of the New Testament, take notes if you're a note taker, Hebrews, two whole chapters of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter three and Hebrews chapter four. The writer of the New Testament applies this same passage to the church of Jesus Christ and he says the same thing to people like you and me. Two whole chapters devoted to this half of the 95th Psalm to say, listen, if you want salvation rest, right? If you want to truly experience, he's not talking about sleep. He's talking about rest from the anxious striving of wanting to control your own life. And he says, if you want to know real peace, if you want to real know, jo real, know real joy, you need to give God all, of, you need to wave the white flag right? Whether it's loneliness, whether it's I can't make ends meet, whether it's I don't know what to do with the rest of my life, you need to give all of that to God. He that finds his life shall lose it, but he that loses his life uh, for my sake shall find it, right? The right response to the daily challenges that we have is the white flag, is to surrender your will to God, to trust him to meet the deepest needs of your life to trust him to show you the path that you don't you can't see today that's what worship is about and we do it every day today we have the opportunity to apply this message this introductory message by taking the communion table and this table represents both historical realities the death of Jesus, his broken body and his shed blood, but also spiritual realities. It's really about taking God at his word. What God has begun in you, he wants to complete it. But he can't do it unless you give him permission, unless you invite him into every area of your life. Let's, let's do that as we share this table. Father, thank you for these moments. I pray you'd be with us now as we open our minds and our hearts to the table that represents the great love that you've brought to us in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.